Grace, mercy, and peace to each one of you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you please bow your head with me? Gracious Father, we're gathered here to hear your word this morning, and so we pray that through these sinful lips you would speak your holy word. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. If you were to look and read, actually, not just look, but read in the book of Exodus, chapter 12, <clears throat> you would come upon the story, the Old Testament story of the Passover, and how the first Passover began. At that time, the children of Israel were slaves in the land of Egypt, and probably most of us remember that story from Sunday school. They were slaves in Egypt, and God chose Moses to lead his people out of slavery, out of the land of Egypt, and back to the land that he had promised them hundreds of years before. And so Moses, as God's spokesman, went to Pharaoh, and he said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, not going to happen. And so God... In an attempt to show Pharaoh who he was dealing with, that is, he wasn't just dealing with Moses, wasn't just dealing with his brother Aaron, Moses' brother Aaron, that is, not Pharaoh's brother Aaron. Pharaoh probably didn't have a brother named Aaron, but Moses certainly did. <clears throat> wasn't dealing with just them, he wasn't just dealing with the Israelites, he was actually dealing with God himself, and it wasn't one of the petty little gods of the Egyptians, it was the true God. And so in an attempt to show Pharaoh who he was dealing with, God sent a succession of plagues upon the land of Egypt. And you might remember some of those. There was the plague of blood where the, the Nile River and in fact all of the bodies of water there in Egypt were turned to blood. There was the plague of frogs and the plague of flies and the darkness and the hail that destroyed all their crops. Remember those? and the darkness. And after each one of those plagues, Pharaoh refused to let the people of Israel go. Now sometimes he said, okay, you can go, and then changed his mind and said, no, you can't go. And, uh, but, but ultimately after each one, he refused to let them go, and the Bible says he hardened his heart. And so finally God says, all right, there's gonna be one more plague. And this one will be tragic because it's going to require the life of the firstborn son of every Egyptian household. It says there was not a single household in Egypt that was untouched by this. It might be an adult son, might even be a grandfather who was the firstborn in his household. But the firstborn, every one of them would die that night. And so as the day drew near for that terrible gut-wrenching event, God said to the Israelites, you need a way to escape what I'm going to do to the Egyptians. And so here's what I want you to do. I will make the way of escape for you, and you simply carry this out, and you'll be safe. And he said, I want you to take a lamb, and I want you to kill it, and roast it, but before you do, and you're going to eat it, but before you do, I want you to take the blood of that lamb and smear some on the doorposts of your house. Remember that? And also smear it on the, on the board that goes over the door. Take that blood 
and smear it on the door of your house. And when I pass through the land that night, God says, I will see the blood and I will pass over you. Now, if you remember that story, you'll remember that Israel believed what Moses told them. And of course, that was tantamount to believing what God told them. And so they did what God said, and they smeared the blood on their doorposts, and Israel was spared the devastation that occurred that night to the Egyptians. And I'd like to make a couple of observations about this, if I may. First, there were over a million Israelites living in Egypt right then. Over a million. Think of that. In any group that large, in any population of people that size, there's going to be some scumbags, right? There's, there's going to be some thieves and some murderers, some adulterers, some rapists, some who knows what, some liars, right? They're going to be in that crowd. And yet it did not matter who they were. If they were gathered behind the blood that night, they were all safe. Isn't that interesting? God passed over them all if they were behind that door with the blood smeared on it. That's the first observation. And the second observation explains the first, and it is this, that although the benefit of that blood was for the Israelites, the blood was primarily for God. He said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Isn't that interesting? Although they got the benefit of it, the blood was primarily for God. Interesting, isn't it? Well, do you suppose somebody might have said in Israel, you know, a sheep's kind of expensive. I'm going to use a chicken. <laughs> I'm, going to, I'm going to put chicken blood on my house because that's a lot, a lot easier to come by than a sheep. Or somebody said, you know, my neighbor over here, he's butchering a calf. I'll go get some calf blood. I'll smear that on my door. You suppose anybody made that kind of substitution? Well, we know they didn't. And they didn't, we know they didn't because the Bible says all Israel was spared that night. I would hate to hang my family's safety on some kind of substitute when God says, here's what I require, wouldn't you? He required a lamb without spot or blemish, and only that blood would save the children of Israel that night. Now, fast forward, if you will, to the New Testament, past the time when Jesus walked on the earth, past the time he was crucified, past the time he rose from the dead, and then even after the time that he ascended into heaven, to the book of Acts. And here's our lesson for this morning, and it says this, nor is there salvation in any other. This is Peter speaking, by the way, to a crowd of people gathered in front of him. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. What does Peter mean when he says there is no other name? Boy, that's narrow, isn't it? No other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. What does he mean, first of all, by being saved? Well, what he means is this, is that God, by virtue of being your creator, has a claim on your life. He has a claim on my life. And the claim is this. You shall be holy, for the Lord your God is holy. That's what he says. 
In other words, your thoughts, your words, your actions are to be pure. And now, now think about how your thoughts, words, and actions really are. I think about mine, and I'm ashamed to think about a lot of them. Sometimes I say things about people that are unkind. You know, that person was created in God's image, and although much of that image of God has been lost through the fall, what does it say? I, what, what, is it, what does it say about my thoughts toward God when I speak about his creation that way? Because God is holy, he must punish that kind of sin, and the punishment is hell, and it's hell forever, and you never get out. That's, that's what he says. And so when Peter says, there is a name by which we must be saved, what he means is that there is a way of escape in the same way that God made a way of escape for the children of Israel from the judgment that he brought upon Egypt, there is a way of escape from his judgment upon humanity for you and me. And that escape is in the name of his son Jesus. That's the name apart from which there is no other name. Now, why is that? Why, why isn't there another name by which we can be saved? Well, it's because saving you, saving me, that was the very mission of Jesus. That was why he came to this earth. You see, God is infinite, and everything about him is infinite. And when you sin against God, you've sinned against an infinite justice. And that debt has got to be paid. Just in the same way, if you break the law in Mankato, there's a penalty to be paid. And except the penalty for sinning against God is an infinite penalty. How are you going to pay that? Well, the only way is to suffer forever. And so, so, so uh, that's why... Um, well, that's, that's why there had to be a payment made and only one person could make it. And that permanent pay, payment, the only person who could make that payment, there it is, is God himself, right? Only an infinite God can make an infinite payment. So that's what happened when Jesus came down. God the Son came down and he lived in your place. He lived in my place. And in place of my sinful life, he lived a sinless life. And then God placed upon him the sin of the world. He's the only one who could ever pay it for it. He bled his blood on the cross. The soul that sins, it must die, and that's what he did. Died not for his sin, but for my sin and for your sin. And the Bible says that on the cross, all the handwriting that is the list of the sins that you have committed was blotted out. It was removed so that so far as God is concerned, you are now spotless. And when you hide behind the blood, you will be safe when his judgment comes. But this time, it's the blood of the Lamb of God, his son, Jesus Christ. It is Jesus who is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It wasn't Muhammad. It wasn't Confucius. It wasn't Buddha. It was Jesus. And that's why... There is only one name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Amen.